We'll be continuing this morning on our journey together through the book of Philippians. We'll be looking at Philippians, uh, the second half of verse 18 through verse 26. Boys and girls, make sure you have your kids' bulletin there with you. You have your own translation we'll be referring to throughout the sermon, so you can pay attention with us. And you know, has a place where you can ask some questions to mom and dad or to me if you need them. If you do hand those in to me for questions, please make sure you put your name on them so I know who to answer. Before we go to God's Word, let's go together in prayer again. Oh, Father God, we do thank you that we can stand upon the righteousness of your Son alone because of your grace. And we thank you that you have condescended to reveal yourself to us in your Word. Lord, we ask that as we come before your word this day, that you would open our hearts up to receive your truth. By your Holy Spirit, you would help us to know that truth, to obey the truth. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin today, I want you to think about the idea of having to make a really difficult decision. Not the kind of decision that we often think is difficult, and that would be the kind where we know what the right thing to do is, we just don't really want to do it. Not that kind. I'm talking about the kind of decision where you honestly don't know which is the right path between good and better. That's a hard decision, right? The right and wrong, that's not usually that hard. We just don't want to do the right, but the actual not knowing it, well, this is good, but this is better, or is this good? That's hard. We've all faced moments like that in our life. A famous one, just to kind of help, help you get into the idea of what I'm talking about here, a very famous one is in July of 1945. Most people think of this very simplistically, but actually it was very complicated for President Truman to decide whether or not to use the bomb. He was told that the invasion of Japan would conservatively, the estimates he was given according to historical documents, this is greatly exaggerated in the public media, but the actual historical documents show that, that among his advisors, the low estimate was 50,000, the high estimate was 300,000 casualties to invade the island of Japan. There was the complex issues of wanting to end this long war as quickly as possible, needed to appear strong before the menace of the Soviet Union, needed to justify spending $1.8 billion in 1945 dollars to develop this thing, and then actually using a weapon that was so destructive. It was a very complex decision, and you can actually find President Truman's diary online, and you can actually read him struggling to decide what to do here if he wanted to go down in history as the first person to authorize the use of such a weapon. It wasn't a simple issue. There was no clear, this is right and this is wrong path. And we'll see something very similar today in this passage in Philippians. So far, Paul has, remember where we've been? He's prayed for the Philippians. He's prayed that they would know what really matters. And then that knowing what really matters, they would then do what really matters. He then demonstrated that himself and that he suffers for the gospel because that's what really matters. But today we're going to see, and he shows us, you know, it's not always easy to discern what really matters, to see these are Christ's priorities in this situation. Because life is complex. 
And so we're going to see him wrestling with these, these complexities, trying to figure out what really matters. What are Christ's priorities for me at this point? So if you would, would you look with me, verses 18 through 26 here in Philippians chapter 1. This is God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And this is God's word. So here's what we're going to talk about today. I want to kind of give you a theme that you can use to remember the sermon by. It's this. When our joy comes from Christ's game plan, the church starts playing as a team. Let me say that again. When our joy comes from Christ's game plan, the church starts playing as a team. That's important for us because we need to recognize that when we commit to honor Christ, it shows us, he shows us the joy of loving as he loves. So let's start out here. Let's see what is the joy of playing for Christ. Prisoner Paul has joy. We've already seen it. He still has joy. He starts out saying, yes, and I will rejoice. Last week he had joy because the gospel is advancing, even in his imprisonment. Now he further rejoices because he says deliverance is coming. So it appears after two years in jail, working his way up the system, Paul now has a court date with Caesar. It's finally here, no more waiting, because the Philippians have been praying for him, he says, and because he knows they will keep praying for him. Oh, dear Christian, we can stop right there and we can remember, we can see God's Word tells us that our prayers for each other are vital. We're never just wasting time when we spend time in prayer, especially for our fellow believers, especially as John Mark led us through prayers for the worldwide church this morning. That's never wasted time. Paul openly admits here how much he needs their prayers. Their prayers are why he has joy rather than anxiety, even in the midst of prison. See, Paul knows that Christianity is a team sport, and he can't do it without their help, without their prayers. So do you want to apply God's Word to your life? Well, you can start right here. Ask God to give you a genuine love for your fellow believers, because out of that love, you will pray for them, and prayer is vital, and that love will motivate you to pray for them. So Paul says here he needs other Christians, but he needs more than just other Christians. He actually says that the Spirit of Jesus Christ will see to his deliverance. Literally, he says, to have a supply of the Spirit of Jesus. A big heaping helping, you could say, 
Paul basically says this. He says, look, this is hard, y'all. Pray for me. Pray that God would send me strength. Pray that he would send me the same source of strength Jesus needed. That's why he calls it the Spirit of Jesus Christ, not the Holy Spirit. See, there's a great point here. Don't miss this. We have a hard time understanding Jesus. We know he's, okay, I'm supposed to say he's fully God. I'm supposed to say he's fully man, but I don't think about that too much because it makes my eye twitch because it's weird, so we don't. But we need to remember, he lived his life as a man. In order to be the second Adam who would come and undo what the first Adam did, in order to be our representative, he had to have the same resources that Adam had. If he had something Adam didn't have, he could not be a representative and undo it because he has a leg up. So what I, what I mean by that is this, is that Jesus did not live a perfect life on earth because of his divinity. We tend to think that's what it was. No, he lived a perfect life on earth as a man because the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. Now, that's more than just theological trivia. Here's why that matters. Because the source of obedience to Jesus in his life of temptation and his life of trial was the Holy Spirit. Paul, in temptation and trial, needs strength. And so he's asking for a big helping of that same Holy Spirit. And guess what that means? If you know Christ, you have access to that same source of strength in your difficulties. The same Spirit that kept Jesus faithful and obedient is available to you. How amazing is that? You see, when we think of Jesus, oh, it's because of his divinity he did that. No, he did it because the Holy Spirit was on him. And if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. You have the same resources that Jesus Christ did. How amazing is that? Oh, if only we would believe that. You see, Paul rejoices because that kind of deliverance is coming. But to really get Paul's joy here, we have to understand what he means by deliverance. For Paul, deliverance here means the ability to stand strong and glorify Christ in what's coming. Look with me, if you will, at verse 20. Here's what he says. He says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay, that's a little weird. What's he trying to say? Here's how he translated it for the kids. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 20. It says this. It says, I really hope that I won't be scared before Caesar because I want to tell him the gospel clearly. That way, no matter what his decision, either to release me or to kill me, I will honor Christ. That's what Paul is saying here, which is crazy religious fanatic talk, right? That's not what sane people say. Paul rejoices in this craziness. Hey, if I'm released, great. If I die, great. I just want to honor Christ. You see, enduring a trial well is a testimony to God's faithfulness. But living through a trial as worship, living through a trial with joy, that's a testimony to God's love and God's care. And Paul gets God's love and care. So he's, you know what? Doesn't matter what happened. If Caesar wants to execute me, all right, I'll go be with Jesus. Caesar wants to let me live, all right, I'll go serve Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants, I don't care. I'm just happy to be here. 
What a great attitude to have in the trial of being in prison. I mean, Paul has come so far. He's suffered so much. Now he's about to share the gospel with Caesar himself. It's scary, and he wants to do it well. Paul knows what loneliness, what fear, what pain can do to somebody. And so he wants the Holy Spirit to be there with him, and he's on trial. So he's begging, please let the Holy Spirit come. But there's even more here. Those of you who know a family member who has faced death, you know this. Those of you who have not, you don't know this. But when facing death, Satan attacks Christians like crazy. Fear and doubt come out of nowhere. Simple things that you haven't doubted or questioned in years come back and you all of a sudden have these doubts about your faith. You wonder, is all this stuff for real? Am I just a fool? Am I really part of the elect? What about my sins? It's just an amazing attack that Satan does. You see this actually if you've read Pilgrim's Progress through everything he's been to. Christian stands on the banks of the river of death and he's got to go through to get to the celestial city and he pauses and he can't do it and he doubts and he has fear and even as he goes through that river he starts to doubt because Satan comes with all of his might because Satan wants to steal your joy. In Christ. He hates Christians dying well. Paul's facing that. Paul is facing that challenge right now. Is he going to die well? Is he going to honor Christ? Or in the fear of death, will he pull back his testimony? In the last movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I, I know I just lost some of you, okay, imagine I'm holding a football, okay, so anyway, in the last movie of Lord of the Rings trilogy is called Return of the King, and there's this huge, huge battle in front of this city, and an ally country is under the leadership of a guy named Theoden, he's the king, he leads his forces to this call for help from his ally country, he pops over the ridge, and the, the battle is in this valley, and he is just shocked at the massive army that is attacking this city, Way too much for him and his army of cavalry to defeat. But you know what? We're an ally. I said I'd come, and he dives right in. They fight. It's an incredible battle scene. They end up say, helping save the city, and he is mortally wounded, and he's dying on the battlefield. He knows he's fought well. And a friend of his, a family member actually, comes up to him and is comforting him as he is dying and he says this he says i go now to my fathers in whose mighty company i shall not now feel ashamed because they were great warriors and they died well and he was afraid he would die an old man on his throne instead he got to die in battle well for a warrior and that's the emotion of verse 20. That's what Paul is trying to say. Paul is saying, look, man, Jesus is the real deal. The gospel is true. If he's executed, he won't be ashamed at God's throne because he'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and he can stand in that mighty company unashamed because he's clothed in Christ. See, facing death affirms Paul's faith. Because that's the reality of the gospel. Paul is clean and righteous before God only because Paul has been cleansed by Christ's blood. Only because Christ's righteousness has been given to Paul. And when Paul stands in God's mighty company, he will not feel ashamed because Christ 
was shamed for him. And Christ will receive glory at that point for Paul's salvation. All of that truth anchors Paul in joy as he faces this momentous trial. Because for Paul, deliverance means Christ will be magnified in his trial. Paul has joy simply for playing on Christ's team regardless of the outcome. But Paul also shows us here the joy of learning Christ's plan. Let me ask you something. You can, if this is true, you can go ahead and raise your hand. I would love to talk to you. Anyone here know Christ's specific plan for your individual life? Like, you've got it. You know exactly what every step is. Anyone? Yeah, I didn't think so. Well, guess what? Neither did Paul. And we get to watch him struggle to try to figure it out. Look with me at verses 21 through 24 where Paul is struggling with this. Before I read this in English, I just want to tell you in Greek, if you could read Greek, you'd see that the verbs are out of sync, the, the, the nouns kind of come and the adjectives are over here. It's really not pretty language like Paul normally does. He's kind of just rambling stream of consciousness, sharing his thought process, trying to figure it out in these three verses. They clean it up in English so you miss that, so I'm going to tell you that in advance. So look at me, verses 21 through 24. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See how Paul's like going, I, I don't know which one to do. Where should I go? What is this? You see, it's almost a proverb in our culture, isn't it? How much our society is afraid of death. It's rarely talked about. It's rarely even shown that much except in violent entertainment. Death is sort of isolated and keeping hidden as much as possible. It's covered up. But here we see for Paul something very countercultural for us. His physical life is not the end all of his heart. It's not his treasure that he must hold on to no matter what. In fact, he calls, it, he calls death a departure. He's like, if i got to depart, I'll depart. It's kind of like how we might say, well, you know, he's moved on. You see, part of a Christian's hope, part, part of our hope is this fundamental attitude towards death. We don't seek it, but nor are we to live in fear and terror of it. Instead, as Paul here, it's just a departure. It doesn't fear me. My physical life doesn't hold the treasure to my heart. Richard Sibbs was a well-known Puritan pastor. He was so good at showing the comfort of God's grace and love that in his lifetime he was referred to as the heavenly Dr. Sibbs. He has this wonderful quote on death. Here's what he says. He says this, Why then should we fear death, that which is but a passage to Christ? It is but a grim sergeant that lets us into a glorious palace that strikes off our bolts that takes off our rags, that we may be clothed with better robes, that ends all our misery and is the beginning of all our happiness. See, that's the Christian view of death. Paul has that view of death. Paul knows that his life is hidden with Christ on high. If he lives, he says, Christ will be with me. If he dies, he says, I'll have more of Christ. Either way, Paul says, I win. See, that assurance is actually the cause of Paul's struggle here. 
Paul has opened up his heart here to this inner struggle. And here's what I mean. Paul has had this very long, very hard life in ministry. We're at the, we're at the very end of the book of Acts. He's in his two-year imprisonment. So all that stuff, shipwrecks, multiple beatings, being wounded, the tiredness, everything in Paul's life has already happened. And Paul has had a very long and painful ministry. And frankly, he's ready to die. He's ready to go be with Jesus. But he's not sure if that is what Jesus wants. I appreciate that a lot. Don't you? I mean, life's not easy, is it? As we grow up, you're going to find out, boys and girls, you know, very often you think the choices are between good and bad, but actually you can ask mom and dad, most of the choices in life really aren't that, are they? They're between good and better, and they don't come with labels, do they? We have to make hard choices. Maybe not Truman and Adam Bob level choices, but they're life-changing to us, aren't they? Isn't it nice to know that Paul, a man of conviction and courage, who wrote a third of the New Testament, whose first name was Apostle, that guy had to struggle to know what to do, just like us. And that is so encouraging because I struggle with hard choices just like you do. And in a complex life, isn't it nice to know the gospel gives us resources for our daily walk? You see, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us confidence in his word so we can go to his word and it can help us make good choices in the complexities of life. This group of verses that we just read, verse 21 through 24, they're riddled with references to Job and references to other Old Testament prophets because Paul is wrestling with God's word as he's wrestling with this choice. He's trying to figure out what does God want me to do? And he uses the scripture as the key to figure it out. In other words, you and I have access to the same resources that Paul had. We have the same spirit. We have the same word of God. How amazing is that? If only we would believe it. Well, at this point, we have to ask, if you've been following me, if you've been thinking through this passage with me, we have to ask, okay, really? Why is Paul torn? Does Paul even have a decision to make here? Because it seems to me that Caesar gets to make the decision. So ultimately, God through Caesar makes the decision. I think Paul's struggling with something kind of above his pay grade here. What's going on? Well, the key to really understanding what Paul is torn about is in verses 22 and 23. It's very subtle, so I want us all to look at the kids' version to to get it. Look with me, if you would, at verses 22 and 23 of the children's version. Paul says this. If it's not my time to die, then I will joyfully do more for Christ. But I really can't say which I want to pray for. I'm really torn between which verdict I want Caesar to give. I long to leave this world and be with Christ. That is so much better. You see, Paul started out this passage thanking the Philippians and rejoicing that they've been praying for him. And now Paul struggles here to know what to tell them to pray for what he should pray for, and what they should pray for. I love that Paul doesn't just punt and say, well, just pray God's will will be done. How often in our prayers have we just punted to that instead of actually struggling, saying, no, here is what I think we should pray for. Paul struggles 
Paul does something very helpful here. He actually names and owns his own contrary desire. What I mean by that is Paul says, I want this outcome. This is Paul's will. But I really don't know if this is God's will or not. It's not sinful. I don't know. I don't know what's God. So he doesn't just say, well, let's just pray God's will will be done. No, he goes, I need to know so I can pray specifically. Because he has this firm conviction. You know, God's will isn't a mystery. God has said in the prophet Isaiah, as you walk down, you will see the path and you will know not to turn right or left because the path will be clear. And Paul says, I believe that that God is with me. I believe he's given me his Holy Spirit. I believe in his word. He wants me to know, so I'm gonna know what to pray for. I'm not just gonna be like, uh, sports center's on. Pray God's will will be done. Done lent, done lent, because we're in a hurry. Instead, Paul says, I wanna know. Often, I think you and I are afraid to say out loud or to admit to ourselves that we want something really badly, and we're not sure if God wants us to have it or not. I mean, it sounds worldly to say that, doesn't it? It sounds very non-religious. People won't think we're a good Christian if we admit that, whatever a good Christian is. See, but Paul is honest about it which means he can be honest about the temptation that follows recognizing if I really want this, I'm going to be tempted to get it even if I know God doesn't want me to. See, Paul could choose to testify to Caesar in a certain way to make sure he was executed. He could play up the subversive, revolutionary parts of Christianity where he says, I'm sorry, I cannot say Caesar is Lord. I must say Jesus is Lord, and so I, I cannot submit to your authority at all. He could play that up, or he could be more balanced and saying, well, of course I say Jesus is Lord, but my God also says in, in the book I'm going to write soon called Romans that I have to submit to you because you're his authority. He could show the balance, or he could go a certain direction, and he could ensure that he gets executed so he could be done. He admits that's what, he's, that he, that's what he wants, and he's struggling here, but he's more convinced that he's supposed to follow Christ's game plan, not his own, which is the conclusion he reaches in verse 24. Look with me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, you know what? Christ's church needs me, so my struggle is over. I know what i got to do. I don't want to be too harsh here, but can we admit together that many of us view involvement in the church, serving each other, or sometimes simply showing up? Very often we view that as a burden, don't we? An obligation that we have to do. We need to be sobered by Paul's commitment here. He sets aside what he admits is his heart's deepest desires to die and be with Christ and to be done with this painful life. He sets that aside because he wants to do good for God's people because he loves the church, because he loves Jesus. Oh, that Trinity would be a place that loves each other like Paul loved the Philippians. So we've seen the joy of playing for Christ We've experienced Paul's joy of discerning and learning Christ's plan. Now Paul is led to the joy of Christ's team. We saw last week Paul was joyful as a prisoner because he realized Jesus wanted him to be a prisoner. 
So Paul took that one for the team because it advanced the gospel, but now there's more. Paul has joy from the team itself. The fruitful labor he talks about there in verse 22 is defined for us here as building up this team's progress and joy in the faith. See, through his struggle, Paul is convinced. Like, oh, I see. Joy is found in loving who Jesus loves. I'm going to help them because Jesus loves them and I will have joy in my trial in that. Oh, dear flock, it's not just putting up with each other. It's not even being willing to sacrifice for each other, but actually loving each other, warts and all, simply because Jesus loves us, warts and all. That's where Paul's conviction finally lands and says, this is God's will. Boys and girls, look with me at verse 25 and 26. Let's see what Paul says so we can understand this. Paul says this. That settles it. Let's pray Caesar releases me so I can help you be joyful and grow in your faith. Since I know y'all will really praise Jesus if I am able to see you again. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? That's more than Pastor Sean challenging you, by the way. That is a promise from God's word. You will have joy when you love your fellow Christians. See, what Paul realizes, even in his difficulties and struggles, is that he's part of a team that Jesus loves. I've used this example before, but it's just so powerful. I want to use it again. This movie came out in the year 2000, I believe, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Utterly forgettable movie. It's called The Beach. And basically, this group of college age and young 20s people, they find this secret beach in Polynesia on this secluded island that no one knows about. So they, they, they find it, and they have their nice little community there away from everybody, and they just, you know, do all the things that everybody says, oh, we just have love and joy and peace, and there's a huge pot field over there. So, you know, I'm sure something happens with that too. But anyway, they just have this wonderful time together until a shark attacks a set of two brothers. One of them is killed instantly. The other one is severely injured, and they don't want to risk their island being discovered. So they say, we will help you get across to an island, which includes swimming, and he's too scared of the water, now he won't go in the water. And they say, I'm sorry, we can't let the secret of our island get out. They refuse to bring a doctor to help him. He doesn't die. He doesn't get better. He gets infected, and he just is in so much tremendous pain, he just starts moaning in agony all the time and they kind of live and sleep in this one big communal room so he is like now captain buzzkill and so what do they do this nice group of young you know free hippie type loving people living their community they pick him up they carry him outside the compound out so they can't hear him they put him by himself in a tent to die so they can go back to their nice happy time because he'd become a burden on that community Oh, dear Christian, please realize that in your struggles, in your trials, in your difficulties, you are never a burden to the body of Christ. You are never seen that way. You are never treated that way. Rather, it is a joy when we get to help each other and love each other like that, especially when it's hard. That's what Paul is saying. This is going to be the hardest thing I've done yet, and it is my joy. You are not a burden. I give up being with Christ so I can serve Christ here. 
and I'm glad to do it. That is the love that we are to have with each other. Now, we all have struggles, don't we? And we've gotten to see this rare glimpse inside of Paul's struggles. And he struggles deeply and fiercely. But there was another man who struggled like this, wasn't there? There was another man who struggled between his desire for life and death. And I believe this passage should make you think of it. In fact, I think Paul probably had the story of Christ in the garden on his mind as he was writing this because Jesus Christ went through intense struggles, did he not? He agonized over his desire to do his Father's will, but also he did not want to drink this cup of wrath that his Father required of him. He begged his Father, let this cup pass from me. And in the end, with a full supply of the Holy Spirit, knowing that joy comes from loving who his Father loves and knowing how much the Father loves his people, Jesus Christ says, well, that settles it. Not my will, but yours. I will do it. So Jesus went to the cross for his people. He submitted to die the death that our sin meant we should die. He paid the penalty for our sin. Because of his death, we can be forgiven, but there's so much more. He was raised back to life, proving his innocence, defeating death itself. You see, Christianity is not about just getting forgiven, about getting saved. It's about being changed into God's family, put on Jesus' team, if you will. See, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, he does forgive us but he also makes us righteous in God's sight. And so God looks upon us as his beloved children and he says, call me dad. Because we're part of God's family through Christ. We're part of Christ's team. We have eternal life. Your body may die, but the hope of heaven is promised because Christ earned it for you. That's the joy of being on Christ's team. Do you have that joy? Even if you've been in church as long as you can remember and you know that sometime back then you gave your heart to Jesus, do you have that joy today of recognizing what it means to be loved of God? Do you, do you want it? Even now, cast aside everything you've called religion, Cast aside everything you think Christianity is and simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and you will have that joy. He will make you part of his family and you will have this hope that Paul has here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word addresses us in real life, the struggles to know what to do in so many situations. We thank you that your word gives us those resources. And we thank you, Lord, that those of us who are already on your team, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to give us the power to honor you in a complex life. Now, Lord, we ask that as Christ has been proclaimed now, as crucified and lifted up, that you would fulfill your promise of drawing all people to him. Oh, and if you're here today and you you don't think you know Jesus Christ like this. You don't think you have this kind of joy and you want it. All you have to do is pray a prayer like this saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and I believe that you were raised 
to defeat death. I believe that you are God. Would you please come into my life, make me part of your family. And if you've done that today, I'll be hanging around out front afterwards. If you want to come talk to me, I'd love to meet you. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would do your work of ministry by your spirit through your word. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.